Hi to all our listeners. This is Coach Chelsea, the host of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study, a place where athletes, coaches, and athletic professionals come together to talk about faith, sports, and servant leadership. We hope that this podcast blesses you. If there's anything we could do for you, please find us at the Chelsea F on Twitter, at Chief Friend John, C H E F R A N J O H N on Instagram and streaming live at Chelsea F. Muir on Facebook. We pray that you continue to be blessed and continue to serve as God would ask us to. I want to thank everybody for listening today. We have another uh, exciting session of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I'm super excited about this one because what most people don't know, they think that, you know, when people are putting podcasts together, that it's like, you know, hey, just sit here and listen. But this has actually been what I think, Coach, maybe weeks, maybe a month in the making. Um, And I'm super excited because this is also my fellow Floridian. Today we have Coach Tom Parks, the head men's basketball coach at the State College of Florida here with us today. Um, We were just kind of talking before we got started about just how the pandemic has allowed us to cross paths, not with just one another, but so many different coaches. And otherwise, I don't think we would have ever have had that chance um, just because of the hustle and bustle of life. But one of the things I tell people before, you know, they come on, because I know it's a question burning in the back of their head, is that, you know, when I come to you, it's not me. I literally have a prayer hat, right? I'm giving my secrets, but I have a prayer hat and I legitimately say, God, do your thing. This was your agenda. I'm just the vessel and whoever you feel and deem necessary that we need to talk to, do your thing. And it was so amazing because I watched you for a while. I want you to know that I followed you for a while and I watched you for a while. And we live in a world where people talk the talk, if that makes sense. But when you find people who can be consistent in their words, but then they align with their actions, that's huge to me. And so we hear the word servant leadership all the time, but to have people who actually walk servant leadership, live servant leadership, those are the people that God guides me to. And so I'm so glad he guided me to you. So I'm just super happy to have you here today to talk with us. And I'm going to go ahead and pass the torch to you, but I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm glad to have you here today. Yeah. I'm, well, thank you so much. I mean, I appreciate it. I kind of like what we talked about before, I've seen all the guests on here and I'm extremely honored to be even put in a category with some of those people that that you've already had on here. Um, you know, and I know you reached out fairly early and got back <laughs> to you. I don't know. I, it was funny. I don't know if it got lost in the inbox. I was like, okay, I got to find this. There was so much going on. I don't know if it was a tweet. I, I don't remember what it was, but I got the message. I was like, all right, cool. Like I got to reach back out to to coach Chelsea and, and see if we can make something happen. But I'm just, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, you know, I think my, I have an interesting journey. You know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, servant leadership in general. I think it's kind of been engraved in, in my whole life uh, from a child. You know, I think there's a term that, that, I, that is becoming very common of getting out the mud or making out this and that. And it's funny because Uh, I do consider myself from Florida now, but I'm originally from Wyoming. And you're talking about a place that's hard to make it in the basketball industry, in the college basketball industry. There's 450,000 people in the state of Wyoming. Uh, If you are good at basketball, 
even if it's a 15 year age gap, like, you know, each other, uh, you'll know somebody that knows each other. So I, I fell in love with basketball at a really young age. One of my earliest memories of, of basketball was I was a, I was probably five years old and it was Christmas Eve. And I was like, I didn't know what Santa was getting me this year. And I was super excited, uh, fell asleep, woke up the next day and there's like eight, 10 inches of snow on the ground. And there's a brand new basketball hoop outside. And when I say a brand new basketball, hoop, I mean, it was, it was nothing fancy, but it was a basketball hoop that my dad had to dig a hole in the, in the frozen ground to cement this hoop in. And I was a five-year-old and that's one, actually one of my, not earliest memories, but just in terms of the game and, and my dad um, and things that he did for me, uh, that's kind of where it all started. Uh, I fell in love with the game. Uh, the reasons I fell in love with it morphed over time. Um, but I always had a dream of playing division one basketball. And like I said, in Wyoming, there's not even, there is now, but there wasn't an AAU team when I grew up in Wyoming. We had to travel to, to Colorado. Uh, so I traveled, you know, multiple times a week to Denver, which was about, it wasn't too bad. It was about an hour and 45 minutes from where I live. But again, my dad packed me and a couple of teammates in the car. We drove down there. Uh, I played a couple of years at AAU. Um, you know, I was, I was all state in Wyoming, which again, there's not a ton of people. It's, it's a lot different than being all state in some other places. And so you could be all state and not even move on to play at the college level. Uh, I ended up having an opportunity at Air Force Prep, prep um, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it's kind of funny because you talk about, you know, things happening for a reason. I just, I played in the state championship game. We ended up losing, but a, a, a fan uh, recorded the game on a VHS and sent it to the academy. And the academy does all the recruitment for the prep school there. And so I really, I just had junior college options. So I ended up going there. I commit to... Uh, the academy after that uh, I was one of their leading scorers had a really good year loved the Princeton offense uh, really like fit into who I was as a player and then my coach leaves the academy and so I was still committed um, to go there so I, I took my commitment I went there things didn't work out I left like three maybe three four weeks into the year uh, went junior college and because I attended class at a four-year institution, I had a 424 transfer rule. So I was probably uh, one of those guys. I, I wanted to get out of JUCO. I wanted nothing to do with that. I was like, I, I got to get out of here. So I took 54 credits in a year and graduated. So I was taking a ridiculous load. I graduated from junior college in one year, um, made some mistakes in that year, uh, left me with basically one scholarship offer to Youngstown State. Took that, uh, got, had some injuries, transferred, uh, ended up finishing my career at Northern State, which I had an unbelievable opportunity to work for Coach Don Meyer. Uh, when you talk about servant leadership, I don't know if, if, at least in his time, if there's a name bigger than Don Meyer. For those viewers that haven't really dabbled into much of Coach Meyer's stuff, he still has a website with all kinds of resources. I have a box of, or a bag of his cards that he used to send to people that have poems and different things involving servant leadership, John Wooden's pyramid success, all these things. Um, and so that's kind of really where the term first, like where I heard it first, you know, I've heard leadership and all those things, but that was where I really like started thinking, oh, well, what's servant leadership? Um, from there, I had a very short lived professional career. Uh, I played 
basically one season uh, in Spain, uh, full season. I had some other opportunities um, kind of before that that fell through. So I played one season in Spain in a fairly competitive league. And again, the injury bug got me pretty much everywhere I went. I started coaching uh, at Sheridan College, which is a junior college I attended as a player. I met my wife there as a player. So we're full circle now uh, back coaching there. And then I was there for three years as the associate head coach, working all kinds of jobs, substitute teaching, working at golf course, trying to make ends meet and ended up having an opportunity to come to Florida. And uh, I think, you know, people can argue it, but in terms of junior college sports and junior college basketball, specifically Florida, Texas, you know, Kansas, I mean, they're some of the best in the country. There are some outliers, so don't get me wrong. There's some unbelievable junior college, other places, but you know, pound for pound, that's kind of where it's at. And so my wife was begging me to get her to warmer weather. So I took a job for that was posted for $2,000 uh, for the whole year um, after making a lot more money as associate head coach at Sheridan College and just bet on myself. Was there for a year and that's how I ended up at State College of Florida. This will be my third season. Um, I've got three children. Uh, and, and as I said before, I met my wife in junior college. She was a women's basketball player there. Um, and just kind of, it was weird because our past had, had crossed multiple times too before that, but never really pursued anything, just brief meetings and things like that. And then we ended up at the same institution and it was a wrap after that. So that's kind of my journey to how I got here. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm with you on that. You know, you saved yourself for uh, other JUCO coaches that weren't in your name. So I, you know, I'm going to give you a kudos to that one because I was like oh you better loop that back around (laughs) but no you're right I mean I tell people all the time like truly there's a misconception you know people feel like it's that year ago thing well I'll just go juco because I'm not good you are crazy if you believe that juco basketball is like some sort of well I can go here because no that's some of the best those are some of the best athletes uh in the nation right that you'll find at any juco jamboree in florida kansas texas just like you said been there seen it so i test you for that um you know i love how we talk about full circle and we were talking about that before we kind of came on today and it's so amazing how god will have your paths cross so many times with people and we will overlook them so many times much like you spoke about your wife uh but i love that because he has a way it's like okay you gonna keep missing this i was actually talking to uh, Quincy Carter, a uh, uh, longtime uh, QB for the Cowboys uh, last night. And that's what we were talking about, how God will show us things and we will just look all over him. Like it could be right here in our face. <laughs> I tell people all the time, he has to hit me in my forehead like the should have had a, a V8 commercial. I'm going to miss it. So I'm thankful in terms of your wife and so many other things that you did see that one. Um, yep. you, of course, talking about serving leadership and you said it best. Yes, there's so often we hear those terms and those words and they take on so many definition definitions and that's why I'm so excited we have this platform you know one of the things that I want to know about you and as a coach especially a head coach within this pandemic what you know kind of encouragement and any kind of words of wisdom you can give us as coaches that as we approach the opening of our seasons for especially collegiate sports but high school sports as well how what a wisdom and encouragement can you kind of give us to be able to one withstand B, make sure our cups don't overflow, but C, make sure that we're still meeting the needs of our athletes um, because this is a year where, yeah, we still want to win, but we have to pay attention to the fact that our, our student athletes have gone through some things in this pandemic. So what's some things that you can kind of guide us through as we approach our seasons? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll be, you know, I'm, I'm a very transparent and, and believe in vulnerability. And like this pandemic's been difficult for me. Uh, you know, I've, I've probably faced some things in my life I haven't before from an anxiety standpoint. Uh, you know, my son was born about three weeks ago and it was hard for me in terms of like, how much do I attach myself to a college campus, to our team when one of my biggest fears throughout this whole time was what if I'm not at the birth of my child because I get this virus. Um, and so I've, I've kind of struggled with it in a lot of senses, but I also, you know, when I really take a step back and I think, what would it be like for me if I was going to college or I was in high school and I was a student athlete and I was trying to navigate through a pandemic. And so I think the first thing we can do with coaches just empathize and realize that, you know, some decisions that, that these young people make, um, it's hard to say that if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't make those same decisions. I mean, we're constantly educating about wearing masks and not being in large gatherings and not going to parties and doing all these things that we know happen on college campuses um, and that we know happen in the community. But I think we have to take a step back and really empathize and, and, and try to put ourselves in their shoes um, because it's crazy. I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I talked about you know, meeting my wife in junior college, that maybe wouldn't have been an opportunity, at least in that platform. I do really believe that we would have met at some point, but I, I, you know, we're really sticking to our team. Like our guys, you know, at least our education with them is like really st sticking with their team. Um, I think the other thing is just having gratitude. Uh, you know, that's something that I think should be something we practice every day uh, beyond saying thank you. Uh, and, and I think that some things can get put in perspective. You know, we were talking about the regulations that we had. And I, I told you that tomorrow's going to be our first day of like official practice where we can go five on five. And uh, for the longest time, my, my AD and I, who I love, and he's someone I look up to so much, he's almost like another fatherly figure to me. He's extremely smart and his decision-making skills are unbelievable. And, but at the same time, like we butt heads too, in, in a healthy kind of way, we challenge each other. And we got in a conversation, I'm like, Mr. Matt, like, how are we going to be competitive this year if we can't even play five on five? Like, I, I mean, there's so only so much we can do in two on two. There's only so much we can do on three on three and all these things. There's only so much skill development we can do. And I think I was very narrow minded um, in that sense. And I started talking to other coaches and they're like, oh, coach, we can't even do this. Or coach, half our team has COVID and we're shut down and we don't know when we're going to. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I'm extremely thankful that we're able to be on the court. So I think, you know, having more gratitude and just realizing that regardless of what happens this year, if we're able to impact young people's lives and help change them and help give them a better path than what they're currently on, I mean, if we can do it through sport, great. But at the end of the day, if things get shut down, these same individuals are still going to be looking to you for guidance. And they're still going to be looking for me to guidance. And so I think it's one of those things like, our job is so much beyond, you know, the court or the field or whatever is the arena that we play in. I totally agree. And I was sitting here, uh, you know, I made a comment to what you were saying about, uh, you know, even though we bump, bump heads, you appreciate that. And I said, yep, I always appreciate the no man in my life. And that was another part of a conversation I was having with another servant leader and coach is that, you know, you need those people. That's very healthy. You know, if we had people around us all the time, it's just like, yep, that's right. Yes, that's right. We don't grow. So I agree with you on that. And I knew when you mentioned impact, 
Coach G, who is uh, always on here and a part of the Servant Leader family, there it is, impact. That's his trigger word every time we talk, each day. <laughs> you know, and, and it, it definitely is that case because you hit the nail on the head when you said that sometimes we feel that just because these students are in college, that they, they're grown up. They're just fully grown. And they're not. They are still kids. They're still trying to develop. And they're actually at that age where they really are the most impactful that we really have to be mindful with how they think, um, redirect them into the ways that they should go. And that comes on us. And so I think that that's perfect with what you're saying. Even when you stepped in and said that we have to just have gratitude beyond saying thank you. And I thought that was big because I think sometimes we take things for granted. And that's what I told my players. I told any athlete, there should be nothing any coach has to say to you at this point. We've been sitting for so long that I shouldn't have to poke and prod you to work hard and play. If you say you miss the gym, if you say you <laughs> or, we should have to say a word. You should already have it in you to just get up and go. But I think in all seriousness, exactly what you said, having a gratitude beyond saying thank you. When you see those tweets going out every day, like, oh my God, what am I supposed to tell my players? We just found out we're not having a season. Oh my, you know, there are so many things that are going on right now. My heart goes out to those coaches, but also those players, because you signed, you're excited, you've trained all for that to hear we're not playing this year. And that can leave people in a mental space. So I also thoroughly want to thank you so much just for specifying and putting that out there too. This pandemic really has us in a space where we really have to pay attention to the mental health of our athletes and ourselves, because we can't leave from an empty cup. Right. So speaking of that empty cup coach, one of the questions that I always like to ask our coaches and servant leaders is what do you do to fill that cup back up? Sure. That you can make sure you're in the best possible way to serve. Yeah. Another really good question. So uh, I'm big in, into mindfulness um, and having a mindfulness practice. You know, I think that practice looks different for everybody and the same practice that works for me might not work for somebody else, but uh, there's a few ways that, that I try to reset myself. Um, uh, you know, I, I try to meditate multiple times a day. And I think that looks different for, for every person. Um, that might be sitting in silence. Uh, that might be praying. That might be, you know, doing some sort of breathing exercise. That might be walking. Uh, there, there's different things, but just kind of shutting myself down, trying to reset. Uh, I think a lot of people that, that don't practice mindfulness or that have a hard time really engaging in it, they say, well, where do I get this 15 minutes out of my day? Or where do I get this 10 minutes out of my day? How do I, how do I structure that? Um, and I think what people will find out is, is you talk about an empty cup. I'm not productive when my cup's empty. I, I, I can't get things done. I, I feel uh, there's a blur um, I don't feel energized and, and, you know, mindfulness really helps energize me. Uh, for me, uh, a lot of it stems from an experience that my wife and I had when we were traveling, we went to a, a 10 day silent meditation retreat and I can't even express into words, uh, what it did for me. I mean, it just kind of, it's almost like it peeled back all these layers uh, of cloudiness in my mind that. And we had conversation as soon as the meditation retreat ended, we had convert, we stayed up till like two, three in the morning. And we talked about things and shared things with each other that we didn't even know about each other from our childhood, just things that were uncovered through this mindfulness practice. And it was a very intensive 10 day, uh, a lot of different types of meditation and mindfulness. 
Um, but I think that's a great way to reset yourself. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan in exercising too. I mean, that's always seems to be something that I can relieve stress and just, you know, I think a lot of people get worn out with the exercise, you know, that energizes me. That kind of just gets my juices flowing. Um, and I think that the benefit of mindfulness, like when I go home, I want to be with my family. You know, I think that's such a hard thing for us to do as coaches uh, because it doesn't stop. You know, you can get a phone call from one of your players at seven o'clock at night, something going on. And yes, it's very important to, to take those phone calls and to be available for things like that. But, you know, I try to shut it down as much as possible. If there's an emergency, there's something that needs to be dealt with right away. I do it. But um, and I think we all know that sometimes that overflow does happen at our at our homes. But when I'm at home, you know, I'm trying to take my kids swimming and I'm trying to take them to the playground and take my dog to the dog park and just be their father and be my wife's husband and not be a basketball coach. Because I think too many times we got caught up in our labels and, you know, I love to coach basketball. You know, I am a basketball coach, but that is not who I am um, as a person. And I think when we carry that into our personal life, that can be another thing that really drains and, and empties our cup. So that's just how I do it. I think that's so huge. There's so many things that you said, and as I'm sitting here trying to write them as well, you know, one, you talked about not getting caught up in labels. And that's the first one, because that was a whole purpose behind the servant leader coaches Bible study. It's like, yeah, I'm at work, y'all. There it is. (laughs) It caught me. So, um, you know, we try our best to, you know, be a coach, right? And the whole point of this platform was we pour so often into our players, into our staff, into everybody else. And at the end of the day, it's like, we're so empty, but I'm still mom, dad, uncle, aunt, you know, uh, husband, wife, all of these things to so many people, you know, many of us depend on the level that we are. We coach, but as you heard it from me, hey, that's true authenticity there. I also am an educator. I'm a biologist. That's what I do. I'm also a mentor. That's what I do. And so, so often we have to ensure as servant leaders, especially with you, you're a men's basketball coach. So not only do you teach them basketball, but I know from what I see in you, you want them to be good men. And a part of being a good man is being a good husband, being a good father. And so you have to be able to balance and show that. So that was one of the things that I wanted to point out. But the other portion was what you and I kind of talked about. And I wanted to deal too deep into you know our pre-conversations when we scheduled you but I did want to kind of touch on that a little bit because hearing you talk about mindfulness and you know the different levels that everybody seeks to fill their cup rather it be meditation prayer and all of those things I'm gonna give you a kudos real quick because I really don't know if I could actually you know go a few days like that just (laughs) I mean I'm pretty sure but you know that that I can only imagine how that cleansed the spirit, right? But one of the things that I do want to talk about and address is because you were in the military and because, you know, as you and I spoke this kind of off script, you know, about your travels and how you learned, um, you are a huge learner of religion and trying to figure out pretty much where your capacity lied. And I I respect that in you. And I'm going to tell you that because we had spoken to Kathy Pondexter before um, months ago about the same thing. And I tell people all the time, Yes, my faith is in Christ. I'm a Christian. But I think we get so caught up sometimes in the fact of what we choose as our religion and our denomination that we forget these students and athletes that I recruit, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a Christian. 
So how do I make sure that I'm meeting their needs, right? And so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, how that conversation we talked about with the military, those things that you kind of did. But one of the biggest things you pointed out in that is the core values. You said, I just tell you this, in spite of everything, you know, I came back full circle. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in doing good and being good, right? And I thought about Coach Paul, who's always on here, because we try to make this huge, long definition and answer to what it means to be a Christian and a person of faith. And at the end of the day, why is it so hard just to be good and do good? So can you just talk to us a little bit about your journey and some of the things yeah. kind of went through? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking. And uh, just being in full transparency. And when we emailed even last night, I said I was a little nervous. I've, I've really the opportunity to, to talk with you on this podcast has, has made me think on a whole different like level of, of different layers to faith and, and what that means. And, you know, I have a really interesting background. So both my parents uh, grew up in Christian homes. Um, I mean, uh, to the point where, I mean, any type of function going on at the church, they were there multiple nights a week, um, you know, all weekend they were there. Um, and in my journey, you know, when I was a kid, I kind of remember thinking to myself, like, why don't we go to church? You know, why, you know, we never, it wasn't a thing where Sunday mornings we woke up. Um, my mom is in, she's one of the most amazing women I've ever been around. She is so hardworking. Her story is incredible. I mean, she went from a junior college uh, dropout to graduating number one in her class at the best vet school in the country, maybe the best, I don't know now, Colorado State University. She was the number one um, graduate. And um, she is so hardworking. And I think what happened is a child, we we basically, we lived at home, but we were at the animal hospital so many times. My dad was, I guess, the, the manager, maybe. I mean, he ran some of the, like, the accounting stuff and, and the, those type of things for the business. And so, you know, Sunday kind of became like a day for our family um, and something that, that I, you know, I think that aligns with going to church. But I think for my parents, it was like, all right, what are, where, what are we going to do? Um, and so it ended up like, not being really a part of, of our Sunday tradition or any other night of the week, but my friends all went. So I started asking my dad, like, Hey dad, can I go to Sunday school? You know, and my parents have always been so unbelievably supportive. My mom and my dad, like if I wanted to be a, a garbage man, a, a truck driver, a school teacher, a doctor, it doesn't matter the, the job. Like if I wanted to do it, my parents would support, support me full heartedly if that's what I was passionate about. And so I wanted to go to Sunday school. So my parents were like, cool, like, let's go. Now, as a kid, you know, I saw my friends going to Sunday school and memorizing a Bible verse and getting a piece of candy or a little toy or something. I was like, yeah, let's do it. But I learned a lot in the process. Um, and then that kind of, you know, that fell off. I did youth group. But again, it was the same reasons. You know, I, I, I love the environment. I love the family atmosphere. I loved just like everyone was so like, accepting and I was like cool like I like this I want to go to I want to go to youth group night but you know the majority of youth group night we play basketball you know like we spent some time again we spent the same time you know had some food played basketball um as I got older I wouldn't say I like fell out of those things but those the reasons of why I went to church they weren't the same reasons when I was 13 14 15 um 
my parents separated when I was a, going into my junior year and my mom started going to, to church more. So I would tag along with her when I would, when it was the week I was with her. Um, and, you know, I just, I always got a good feeling. Like I'd always, you know, I'd always learn something as you talk about being a learner. I mean, I'm just trying to always learn as much as possible. And so I'd always learn something. Um, and I'd always like, I'd feel good after I left and I couldn't really like connect the dots at that age of why I felt good. And then fast forward, I went to Air Force Academy prep. And if you would have talked to any of my friends at high school, they would have said, Tom, what the heck are you doing going to Air Force Academy prep school? Like, you're not a military guy. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not you. But for me, like, it was always about basketball. And, you know, I, I, I am 100% in agreement. Like, as a basketball coach, my job is to, you know, make better human beings and make sure they get an education and play basketball. But I would be lying to everybody on here if I didn't say every single person on our team came here to play basketball. They know the importance of education, but they came here to play basketball. I was the same way. Shoot, I'll wear, I'll wear a uniform and I'll march to, to lunch and dinner and I'll learn how to do all these things and memorize all this stuff. But like, I get to play basketball. Like I get a hoop at a high level. So that's what I did. But what I found out was some of those things were difficult for me. So I started going to chapel and it was, you know, it was a non-denominational chapel, just same thing. Like you had so many different uh, kids from so many different backgrounds there that a lot of it was, was prayer and it was just singing. And it was just these lessons that were taught regardless of, of the religion. And again, it was like a way for me to reset and to start the week fresh. Um, And so I was very involved in going to that as, you know, when I was at Air Force prep, um, did some of that when I was in Youngstown. Um, I've always been around spiritual people. Uh, and then when I when I left, uh, I, I ended up coaching uh, and getting my master's and my wife and I traveled for about 10 months. And part of the reason we wanted to travel was just to learn about different cultures. But we went to a lot of third world countries. We spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And I was I was always kind of puzzled, like how, you know, how are people happy with nothing? I just wanted to find out. It wasn't that I didn't understand it. Well, I didn't understand it, um, but I knew like, you know, material things don't make you happy, but I wanted to see it. Like I wanted to see people that have nothing, no roof over their head, and, and yet they're still smiling every single day. So we went and traveled to Southeast Asia and, you know, we stumbled across this meditation retreat. Uh, like I said, it was 10 days, silent, walking meditation, sitting meditation, you got a chore, you basically, it was at a Buddhist monastery in the middle of the forest. It was, it was beautiful. Um, you know, we weren't supposed to have any interaction. So like, I'd see my wife like walking by and it was almost like, I just like almost pretended like I didn't see her. There was one moment the whole time where she kind of gave me this look like, all right, I'm struggling. And I kind of gave her the look back, like you got this. And a lot of people did drop out. You talk about it being hard. It was, you know, we got woke up at four 30 in the morning by a bell you had no electronics, you live by eight precepts, which a lot of which I still live by today. Um, I had to I had to kind of go back and look at them. But you know, first thing was abstain from killing. So when they say killing, it's not talking about, you know, yeah, it is talking about killing the person living in the dorm next door to you. But I'm talking Chelsea, a mosquito lands on me. I blow the mosquito off like I still do it to this day. Like I, I can't kill a thing, um, abstain from stealing, uh, stealing, no sexual activity, no harm by speech. Obviously we couldn't talk, but if you did talk, not saying something that was harmful, uh, no substances that intoxicate, uh, you only had like one meal. And the funny thing is one of them is no sleeping on luxurious beds. We slept on a concrete 
slab, concrete, a wooden pillow. And it was, you know, it was said that like, a, a, you know, Buddha slept on a wooden pillow and all these things. And so it was kind of just to emulate that. Um, and, and there was a lot of loving kindness uh, meditation, which is so much to do with forgiveness. And I don't know if that was something that I necessarily struggled with, but as we went through it, I thought about people in my life that I hadn't forgave for certain things. Um, or I thought about maybe small grudges that I was still holding on to. Um, and then also this letting go of attachments, um, you know, just trying to let go of things that we think make us happy. Uh, when in all reality, if you took them away, you know, you probably wouldn't even notice. And so, you know, I kind of went through that journey and I started really thinking about what's important to me with my faith. Uh, love is extremely important. Um, you know, I've, I have an unbelievable relationship with my wife and with my family. I tell my players I love them. I mean, it's got to be almost every day. There's not a day goes by that I don't tell one of my players I love them. Um, it's just really important to me. I, I don't think I ever really, I think I needed that as a player. Um, and I didn't, I had some great coaches, but I don't know if I had the coach that would, you know, tell me they love me and, and put their arm around me when I needed that. Um, being kind to people is really important to me. Um, and I know you talk about a lot in here. I actually had a, we, I had an individual meeting with my AD right before this. And we talked a lot about this podcast because I, I told him straight up, I said, I'm a little nervous, you know, and, and, and we were just talking and, you know, he said, uh, you know, love your neighbor. You know, I was like, well, I've heard, I heard that every, every one of these episodes I listened to. Um, but I think that that's true, like love, but just being kind to people and treating people with respect and dignity and being honest. And, and in terms of past being honest, just having integrity and really like doing the right thing when no one's looking, I, I think is so important. I mean, I just, that's something that I learned at the Air Force Academy. That's something that's kind of stuck with. It's always been a core value every program that I've had the opportunity to lead. Um, perseverance, I think is important. You know, I remember I, I broke my foot my junior year of college and it was a Jones fracture. And for those that know, it's a hard bone to heal. You're no weight for it's in the, you know, bottom of your foot. And it's, it's one of those things, it's really difficult. Um, and I actually, when I went in for my doctor's appointment, he's like, well, there's good news and bad news. You know, good news is it didn't break all the way through. Bad news is you're out for the rest of the season. I'm thinking like, where, where's the good news? Like what, what was the good news? And so I remember I had a friend, a childhood friend who we kind of lost contact, but she had reached out to me and said something about, you know, if God puts you through it, like he'll get you through it. Um, and that kind of always stuck with me, just persevering and realizing like there's a plan. Um, and I think we, you know, we're forced to make decisions within this plan and maybe suffer some consequences, but like there's things that we need to persevere through. And there's a reason that we're going through them. Serving leadership is huge for me. Um, you know, I try to be a, a, a program and somebody who leads the country in community service hours. My guys probably hate it um, beforehand. Once they do it, they realize the impact it has. Um, and it's funny because it's almost like they're, they're very excited. Like once we're actually doing it, they have a great time and they do it. But I, you know, you, we've struggled to find some things this year and uh, Salvation Army called and said they need bell ringers. I said, well, when can you start? They said, we start the 21st of November. And I said, when do they go to? And they said, through Christmas. I said, well, our guys have finals starting on November or I think December 4th. I said, we'll do it from uh, November 21st to December 4th. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, and I found out they were actually paying people to be bell ringers. And it's like, what, I mean, I want to give my time. I, I mean, they make so much money to do that. Um, and so like from a servant leadership, like just how can you 
how can you help somebody that's never going to be able to repay you? I mean, I think that's like, that's a perfect day, right? Like if you can help somebody, I think that that might be a John Wooden quote somewhere along the lines, but like, what can you do for somebody each day? And they're never going to be able to repay you for it. Um, and then the last part is just peace and happiness. Um, and just, I think that, you know, I think a question that, you know, we all need to ask ourselves is when's the last time we felt peace, you know, and that's something, you know, I've heard it on some other podcasts I listen to, but, you know, I can, I can truthfully say that, you know, I, I have peace every single day. You know, I, I love my job. There's struggles, there's, there's challenges, especially in today's day, but, you know, more so at home, like uh, my children are, I mean, the most beautiful people in the entire world in my eyes. Yes. I'm sure everyone with children and anyone has a loved one, you're going to argue that your children are the most beautiful. But to me, like those children are the most beautiful things in the world to me and I feel peace every time I walk through the door and they run up and give me a hug and if they don't run give me a hug I'm like yo like what hey daddy's home what are you doing come on so um those are kind of like I guess my spiritual framework I mean in terms of prayer you know I definitely pray um every national anthem um I pray uh, I, I say multiple prayers a day uh about different things you know I'm constantly thinking about people uh, it's, it's never about myself. You know, I think that's part of being a servant leader. Um, and I think if you do all those things, like everything's going to work out, you know, and you're going to be put in the situation that you need to be put in. So. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I think listeners, I know that listeners will understand why I needed you to share your spiritual framework, because I think so often we will come to an assumption, right? And then go off that assumption and miss some of the greatest conversations and the greatest people because we assumed, right? And literally it's not that you don't serve who I serve. My framework is just built and I see God differently than you do. I reach him and my relationship with him is different. We all have friendships and relationships. My relationship with friend number A and friend number B are two totally different things. We may do totally different things. That doesn't mean it's still not a friendship. And so I love that because I feel that so many people run away from who God is and trying to understand him and build a relationship because of religion, right? We talk about it all the time and relationship versus religion. Religion is the worldly aspect that throws people away, that creates these separate definitions from the very person is like, why y'all making this so hard? <laughs> <laughs> I tell people all the time, I, like, I'm gonna write a book, right? And, and God don't be mad, but I'm just, just from my perspective, how you answer us. Like, I know sometimes he looks at me and be like, girl, you really want to make my life hard. <laughs> I told you your answer a week ago, you know? And so I just really thank you so much just for sharing that. But one of the biggest things that you said um, in all of that, there was so much, but you talked about the fact that your friend, when you broke your foot, and it said, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And I think that was right. so huge. I've heard that before. And it's so right. It is because so often, and there's so many coaches on here, so many past servant leaders that have come on, that when hard times come, that's the time that we have to actually exercise that faith. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, if I'm, I'm a teacher, so when I teach you all of these standards throughout the week, I give you all of these notes. We go through these assessments, these labs. I give you a review lesson. We do a game, whatever the case may be. What good was all of that if on the quiz day, it's like, nope, I'm not taking that. 
nope, too bad. I'm forgetting everything you taught me. And so when we read God's word, when we meditate or practice any type of mindfulness, when we understand the things that we've been through, we have to get to the place where we understand that if he brings us to it, he's going to bring us through it. We just have to strengthen our faith muscle. We build our athletes every day in the weight room. Every, right. right. We're sore. We dread it, but we like those results. We like those results. So when God brings us to it, he'll bring us through it. And in the end, we're going to love those results. So thank right. you so much right. just for sharing that. For I sure. want to bring this up and then I'm going to give a chance for any coach to have a comment or question, have at it before we close out. Uh, there's a picture and I was trying to find it because I couldn't remember the title, but I promise you, it literally um, actually sparked a conversation uh, within one of my family dinners. And you do have cute kids. I will attest that y'all <laughs> has the cutest kids ever in life. Um, but you were sitting there and you were reading to them. And yep. I love that because sometimes people think servant leadership stops at, you know, our job. No, servant leadership is exhibited to those that are watching us the most. And so that picture was amazing to me because it wasn't for show. It just showed me, no one has to tell me, I know that's how your household is every day. And you are reading a book to your babies about basically, I don't remember the title, but basically racism. Okay. You are actually my Embrace Us brother. We are part of, and a couple of coaches on here too, we are part of a group called Embrace Us. And, and I love that. I think that is one of the most amazing initiatives I could have joined in my life, but right, definitely right. in this pandemic, because it allowed me to meet people of the likes of you. In servant leadership, there are moments in time where we actually have to stand for what's right. You know, uh, there are a lot of people that have come over here that they say it all the time. And it's the truth. The right thing is always the right thing. I don't care if it's hard. I don't care if people don't agree. The right thing is always the right thing. And so as a servant leader, as a head coach, as a father in today's society, there are so many things going on. And we never really get political. We just always tell the truth. And as a servant leader, I just want to, one, have you explain why was it important to you as a father to read that book to your babies? And two, just talk about in, the, in today's society, what does it mean to you as a servant leader to exhibit, you know, just as you said, loving your neighbor in a world where unfortunately that's one of the hardest things to do right now? Yeah, uh, another really good question. So, um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm, this is a, any, for, for, the, for those that have heard me talk on this, it's just a kind of an emotional subject for me. I can't imagine for others that have had to kind of walk this life of, of racial injustice. Um, Cause I, I mean, I haven't, um, but I don't know, you know, I think that it's our obligation. Like this is a humankind thing. Um, you know, I, we had a, some professional development uh, come through and her, one of her favorite sayings was humankind be both. Um, and I guess for a long time, I was, I was ignorant and just to the definition, just a lack of knowledge uh, where I thought because of my skin color, I couldn't stand for something that didn't necessarily affect me personally. But growing up, uh, and my dad was born in 1949 and he grew up in the South um, and he, his parents uh, were definitely outliers in that time where they didn't care who his friends were. Um, and my dad just liked whoever he liked and, and he hung out with whoever he hung out with. Uh, but that was definitely not the norm. And so like my dad just kind of 
you know, and, and I don't necessarily agree with this term now after Morris Coma. My dad told me like not to see color. And I think now we want to embrace color, right? You know, we, but, in, but my dad, it was, it meant, you know, love, like he didn't want to see anybody different based on the color of their skin. And, you know, he always preached that to me and, you know, growing up, uh, a lot of my friends were minorities. I didn't think anything of it. You know, they were just my friends. They were, they were just my people. Uh, but then as I became a basketball coach, uh, especially like, you know, in junior college, for those that aren't familiar with it, you know, we recruit the guys that don't make it academically more times than not. Sometimes there is an under-recruited player. A lot of these comes from inner cities. Uh, a lot of these kids um, are minorities. And after the George Floyd incident, I, I reached out to all my players and actually it was on, it, I, I listened to, uh, uh, Corey Black's minority coaches of Georgia, their first round table. And, and he sent out the link and I jumped on there. And I think one of those things that was consistent throughout everyone's message is listen, just listen, you know, like you don't need to, um, you don't need to sit here and preach, just listen to what your student athletes have to say. First call I made was to a, a local kid here um, that plays for us. He's an all-conference guy. And, and I called I called him and I said, Jordan, like, what are you going through, man? Like, just talk to me. And he is, he is someone who it, it's painful for him to talk. Like, he's very, very shy. Um, he's getting better. He's starting to really lead vocally on the basketball court. But uh, we joke around because in our group message, like, he'll just send, like, three dots to respond to something. Like, he won't even send a word. He won't even send an emoji. Um, and he said, coach, that could have been me. And I was like, like at that point I realized like, well, that could have been him, you know, and that just really hit me. And I think about all the people I love and all the people who that could have been them based on their skin color. I think my kids are really fortunate that they grow up in a gym and a lot of my, a lot of my players, um, you know, are black or are a minority. And so, I mean, my kids have probably been held by more black people than white people growing up. Um, and so I'm fortunate that they kind of get that inclusion with, with all different types of races and people from all over the world, not just, you know, African-American, but, you know, black people from Africa, Venezuelan kid, like whoever. Um, and so they're very fortunate, but I just think like there's really no age young enough just to preach love. You know, I think that this, this is so many layers deeper in terms of systematic racism and the policies we have in place and all those things. But, you know, I just like, I just want my kids to love, you know, their neighbor and, and love everybody, you know, and, and see, you know, see people's strengths, um, regardless of their skin color. Um, and just always kind of give somebody a fair chance. Uh, and I just think it's, it's my obligation as a human I use basketball and coaching as a platform to be able to exercise some of these, you know, thoughts that I have and some of the things I read. Um, and I try to be really consistent because it's something that's on my mind a lot. Uh, you know, I can tell you even from a school standpoint, uh, when, when all this started happening and I know it's been, I know this is not an isolated event. It's been going on for hundreds of years, but that struck me when my player told me that. And so I had a conversation with my AD and I said, look, I hope we have a season. I said, I really do. I was like, but we got a lot bigger things that we need to address um, within our university, within our community. Um, and so we've got, we've got like a task force um, with some really incredible people at our school. And 
this is the kind of stuff that people probably don't hear because, you know, I don't tweet every time we have a meeting or something like that. But we've got some people that are very rooted in this subject that are very passionate about it. I'm on the committee. My AD is on the committee, our assistant AD. And then um, we've got our, our diversity, inclusion, equity officer in HR and also our basically who's going to overtake that role for all students and staff um, beyond just hiring practices. And it's a very powerful group. And, you know, my, my AD put together an action plan and I'm talking like three, four pages of all these different things that we can do right now to impact change um, within racial injustice. And I just think it's my obligation, you know, and I think, you know, for those people that feel like they can't say something because of their skin color, they can't say somebody because of an administration or something like that. I mean, I guess in my heart, I know I'm doing what's right. And if for some reason somebody doesn't like the fight that I'm doing, like, then it's not a place for me. And I was very transparent with my AD when it came to that. And, you know, fortunately he's extremely loving, you know, he's a follower of Christ and he, you know, he's very strong within his faith and, and he, his, his mindset around this subject has to do with his faith. And like I said, loving your neighbor. And he's mentioned that multiple times, you know, beyond just hearing it on the podcast, like he's mentioned that multiple times to me and, I just think it's our obligation. I think we got to be consistent. That's what I love about the Embrace Us group is it's withstood. Like it's a lot of this topic has died down um, and it's withstood. And um, I'm just really thankful to be a part of it. It's a powerful group of people and it's people that are very passionate about it. I'm a big passion person. It's one of my favorite words. And, and so it's really cool to be like connected to this group and building relationships like this one through this group. I know we had it on here before, but it's going to be different next time we log in to embrace us and have those interactions because of these conversations. So that's just kind of why I think it's important. I just want to teach those things to, to my children and my players. And we've had conversations. I mean, I'll be very transparent. We had a, uh, in the weight room, we had a, one of our players, uh, a white kid from Australia asked another kid um, from the community who is a white kid uh, from Bradenton. He said, what kind of music you listen to and, or who's your favorite musician? He said, Lil Uzi and my Australian, he's an unbelievable human being, big heart. He goes, Oh, you listen to black music. And I said, Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's talk. And we had an unbelievably healthy conversation. And he came in after my office and we talked for like two hours. And he is an unbelievable loving kid, but there's so many layers to this. Like, we don't even realize sometimes by the things we say how it could hurt somebody, regardless of the relationship we already have with that person. So I just think there's a lot that can be done in this field. And I guess I'm just willing to fight for it. Hey, well, we're glad you're in the fight. I'm going to tell you that, my brother. I'm glad you're in the fight. Uh, there were so many things to that. I'm just, I, I, I'm chewing on all that you're saying because I think it's amazing. You know, it, it's one of those things, like I told you before, before we came on, uh, sometimes as, you know, the host and the moderator, um, you get hit a little bit because I get caught in to what you all are saying as a listener and I have to get myself on track, but your words really move me. Um, and I'm glad that you're in that fight. I'm glad that you're in the fight of our young people. I'm glad that you're in the fight of what's right. Um, and so uh, I'm just want to make sure before we close out uh, my coaches, y'all know how I do, uh, but I just want to make sure if anybody has a question or a comment for coach before we get ready to close out, I did not want to leave you out. So now is your time just in case. Go ahead, G. <laughs> I, was, I was just waiting on it. I'm going to be brief, man. Uh, thanks for what you do, uh, Coach. Uh, enlightening perspective from youth to 
you know, adulthood or whatnot. Um, you know, it's just stuff, some, some things you don't think about if you hadn't experienced it. And then when you do, it's like, okay, all right, let's see what you're talking about now. And then now you take it with you and you try to educate the next person. So um, Chelsea talks about it all the time, just in terms of how many hats we wear, you know, coach, uh, dad, big brother, uh, what life coach, you name it. And we just had to kind of manage them all, if you will. Um, two things. One, there's a picture in the background, not Jordan, down in the corner. Is that George Carl? That is George uh, Carl. Okay. I saw the head and I was like, that looks like George. Uh, I wonder the significance on that. And then two, uh, more of a statement, just how you, well, it's a question just touch on how you I guess compartmentalize the two between coach and let me get home and be dad and, and husband. Right. Uh both good questions. So nothing really too well, I guess significant I'm a huge Denver Nuggets fan. There's no professional sports team in Wyoming. So I I was a Denver Nuggets fan when they were like 17 and 65 or whatever their record was in the early 2000s uh my first Nuggets game I I got to see the Lakers play with Kobe and Shaq and and so I'm just a huge fan and my my buddy uh was at an event and he was speaking he's like he knew I was a big George Carl fan so he he had to get the the picture autographed um in terms of compart in terms of just kind of you know compartmentalizing those things I, I think there's a lot of things that line up you know, as a basketball coach and also as a, as a dad, um, not necessarily in business. Um, you know, obviously I got different things I have to do here versus when I get home. Um, but I guess I, I, I treat my team like my family um, in the conversation we have. Yeah, I mean, we can be very intense at times, and, and I, but I think as family that can happen too. Um, but I really just, you know, I, I try to always be mindful of, of what I'm doing. You know, and so, I mean, as simple as like, if I'm closing the door, I should be thinking about closing that door softly, gently. I think we make mistakes when we're not mindful. And so um, I find myself when I get home and if I'm in a mood or there's something going on, typically it has nothing to do with anything going on in my home. It has to do with what happened at work or some other situation. And so for me, I kind of always go back to that, that mindfulness practice. Um, you know, if that's taking a couple of deep breaths before I get home, you know, then that's one thing. Uh, my wife always, wherever we live, she puts up a little sign when I walk through the door. Um, and it's basically just like, you're home now. You know, uh, you know, I'm somebody who I do think it's important for certain things to have this on you, but I try to put my phone down when I come home, at least till my kids go to bed. My players know, uh, you know, unless it's emergency, like I'll get back to you at seven or eight when my kids go down. Um, but from the time I get home, I try to be real mindful of just being with my family and not being glued to that thing, especially from a work standpoint. But it is tough because like we're grinders, you know, like we're trying to be the best possible coach we can be and the best husband and the best father. But there's only 24 hours in a day. And one of the hardest things for me, man, is like people talk about the pandemic. The thing that really changed me was Kobe dying. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think Kobe was somebody who lived his life as if like, I'm going to work really hard now so we can relax later. 
And I feel like his life was stripped from him three years after retirement. He didn't, he didn't get to have those glory days. And I find myself telling my wife, like, Hey, we only got to do this for the next few years. And then I'm gonna have this part of it figured out, but I always find another project. I always find a way to grow. And so I think, you know, just prioritizing the things that are really important to your life is huge. And knowing that like, like I, I wouldn't pick anything over my family. I love basketball. I love coaching, but that's an easy decision for me. And and so I think it's just one of those things where we have to keep our priorities in line. And sometimes we got to remind ourselves. And I think it was on a podcast on on one of yours, Chelsea, where it talked about someone just putting you in check. Like you got to have people that put you in check. You got to have your no man, but you got to have people that put you in check that, that hold you accountable. My wife's that person. She put, if I'm not mindful, if I'm not being present, she puts me in check um, in a very healthy way. Um, that can be a coaching friend that can be anybody, but I think we need those people that just say, Hey, you need to slow down. Like you need to chill out. Like you're, you're at home now. Um, and I had that with my wife and fortunately she played college basketball at a high level. She understands it. So she also understands there is going to be things that come up. Um, but I try really hard to just prioritize those things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I want to make sure anybody else before we close out. All right, cool. Well, coach, thank you. Uh, I know that we're going to have many more conversations that I just know. And I think that that has been the blessing beyond uh, measure being this vessel on God's agenda. I tell people all the time, I have nothing to do with this, right? It's just when he asked me and gave me an assignment, I'm going to complete my assignment. That's it. But the joy in that, the blessing in that has been building relationships like you and I talked about with people that maybe would we would have met Um, I don't know if it was further down the line, but I'm thankful that it was now. Uh, I'm thankful for what you stand for. Um, I'm thankful for what you do. I'm thankful for your service, big time. But above all that, what I tell everybody, I'm thankful for your time, because that is the one thing in life that people give that you can't exchange that thing. You can't return it. We can't rewind. So I thank you for in the midst of everything and knowing that your marching orders have been given, still blessing us with your time today. So I'm going to give opportunity to say any last encouraging word or any final nugget you want to say uh, before we pray and, and close out? Yeah, I guess so there's there's one thing I know I've spoke way too long, but there's one thing that I, that I do want to share um, that I didn't. Um, and this is kind of something that for me has always grounded me in terms of just being a believer and knowing that there's a higher power. And, and uh, when I was a junior in high school, my granny passed away. And uh, I wasn't super close with my granny. Uh, She lived in North Carolina. I would live in Wyoming. We would see her maybe once a year. Um, They would always uh, winter in Florida. And so my granny passed away. My grandfather was still alive. It was about November when she passed away. And my grandfather was kind of debating whether or not he should go to Florida or not. Um, He just didn't know if it was right. He didn't know how he would feel going to Florida. Um, So we ended up going to Florida. And in their, in their front yard, they had a dogwood tree in North Carolina and dogwood trees, they bloom flowers and they lived in this house for like 30 something years. And every spring they'd come back from Florida and the tree would have one flower. When my grandpa returned after my granny had passed away for the first time ever, the tree had was full bloom of flowers. First time ever. So I measure my day in goosebumps. I hope I gave somebody the goosebumps with that story. I tell that story 
uh, frequently. I think it's just kind of grounds me in, in knowing um, that that what I believe in is 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 real. Um, and so uh, that's just something I wanted to make sure I I shared because um, that's how I measure my day in goosebumps. How many times you get the goosebumps? So I'm glad you shared that. Um, you know, last night there were a couple of people that were on that last night we talked about. Uh, when you operate in the spiritual realm, shout out to Quincy Carter, um, people will come in various ways to give you confirmation. And uh, this is the last thing I'll say, and we'll pray and get out. The very, I had no idea where you were going in this story. My grandparents, uh, I live in Tallahassee, but we grew up right outside of Tallahassee in Gadsden County. My grandparents had pear tree, plum tree, all different types of plum trees, grapevine, just whole bit, chickens, he farmed. My grandparents, I was really, really close to my grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather here in Florida. Um, my grandmother passed in 2011. My grandfather passed in 2018. And he was like my dad. That was my guy, right? Looked just like him. So there was this tree, much like what you just said. And it sits in the front of the yard. I have no type of tree it is. It's some type of plums. It was multiple plums. And it just never, we would ask, what is this tree? Like, why does this one never give fruit? There has only been three times within the past nine years in 2011, an abundance of plums came on that tree. Hmm. 2018, an abundance of plums came on that tree. And then unfortunately, earlier this year in 2020, when my aunt, my mom's sister passed away, uh, an abundance of plums came on that tree. Hmm. So I had goosebumps as well, as you said that. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, people say, I felt that. I felt every part of that. So I yep. appreciate sharing that you were supposed to share that and thank you because if we measured it our days by the times you feel goosebumps i'm at my maximum just <laughs> so i appreciate you my brother big for time sure. for just being here and for your whole entire message but especially for my goosebumps uh, <laughs> go ahead everybody if you don't mind bow your heads heavenly father we just thank you for this time we thank you for being god and god alone we thank you for the, this platform that allows us to connect with people or god that Maybe we would have met and maybe not, but you've allowed it for this time. Thank you, Lord God, for the pandemic, because as some people feel a negative and some people feel it was coming to harm us, you told us in your word that all things work together for the good of them that love you and work according to your purpose and plan. We're all workers working according to your purpose and plan, so we know that there is good on the other side of this thing. I ask a special prayer and blessing, Lord God, for Coach Tom Parks as he begins his season, Lord God. Help him to be strengthened, Lord God, in the midst of this season to help build better men and better servant leaders. Bless his family, Lord God. Bless every coach that's on this call currently and the listeners that this call will reach and touch so that, Lord, each time that they press play, they can get not only goosebumps, Lord God, but they can also be closer to you. We thank you for being who you are. We thank you for what you've done what you're doing and what you're going to do, Lord God. We'll be ever so mindful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Coach, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I appreciate you, man. It was amazing. And uh, as I tell everybody, if there's anything we could ever do for you, just reach out. We got you. Awesome. Thank you, Coach.